That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. Yo, what's up? Thank you for tuning in today. Thanks to humans for bringing us in. Thanks to you for supporting the show. I'm Shane Raymer, and you're listening to That Sober Guy podcast, where we talk about drugs, alcohol, recovery, life issues, all kinds of fun stuff on the show. We appreciate you tuning in today. Uh, now, substance abuse is often talked about in the media, uh, but no one's really talking about the dangers of love, relationship, marriage addiction, addiction codependency, which is a big one. Um, uh, and all those things uh, can definitely be uh, just as debilitating as addiction, uh, the, the substance abuse addiction itself. And uh, that's why today we're going to be talking with Sherry Gaba. And uh, Sherry's a licensed psychotherapist and life coach. Uh, she helps people cope with lifelong addictions, including substance abuse, shopping, gambling, food, sex, and love, codependency, trauma, depression, anxiety, uh, even single parenting and divorce. Um, uh, she was the go-to expert on VH1 Celebrity Rehab, and uh, she's also a media expert been, and been featured on HLN, CNN, uh, The Bio Channel, E! News, Showbiz, Tonight, um, Inside Edition on, on uh, Relationships and Addiction. And uh, Sherry's also the editor of Recovery Today magazine. I just actually had the pleasure of being interviewed by her uh, just uh, in the, in the uh, previous uh, week or so, so I uh, really appreciate that opportunity. Uh, and then last, Sherry has a new book coming out, The Marriage and Relationship Junkie, or I, I believe it actually just came out, uh, The Marriage and Relationship Junkie, Kicking Your Obsession. And um, it, it really talks about substance abuse and codependency and focuses how uh, to break the cycle of marriage and relationship addiction. So we're going to be talking about uh, a lot of that stuff today with Sherry. Uh, but before we get to her, be sure to check us out at thatsoberguy.com. Uh, you can also connect with us on Instagram, at realthatsoberguy. And uh, on Twitter, at Shane Raymer. Now, every year, roughly 23 million Americans are living with an addiction. Only 3 million are ac actually seeking the help that they need. Uh, that's it's a sad thing, really, when we look at it from that perspective. But I want to tell you about Heroes in Recovery. Uh, Heroes in Recovery has a simple mission, to eliminate the social stigma that keeps people with addiction and mental health issues from seeking the help that they need. Uh, they also share stories of recovery for the purpose of encouragement and inspiration and help to create an engaged, sober community that empowers people to get involved, to give back, and to live healthy, active lives. Uh, Heroes in Recovery is here to break the stigma surrounding substance use and mental health issues and help more people start and strengthen their recovery. Now, if you have a story, you can help bring truth and hope into the spotlight by sharing it with Heroes in Recovery. To learn more, go to heroesinrecovery.com slash soberguy. Or if you have some questions uh, about needing some help for you or a loved one, you can even call 833-81-SOBER. That's 833-81-SOBER. Uh, you can ask some questions there. Uh, we got some live shows coming up. I don't have the dates yet. I'm working on those right now. I'll be down in the Los Angeles area as well as up here in Northern California. So, uh, so stay tuned for those. And then last, right before we get to Sherry, I get a lot of questions about early sobriety. What do I do? Where do I go? Uh, what don't I do? Uh, I always say, number one, I don't have all the answers. I know what worked and what didn't work for me. And I always try to stay on that path uh, when, when having conversations with other people. Uh, but here's what I finally did. Me and some of my closest friends and colleagues, we created a podcast video course. It's called How to Navigate the First 90 Days of Sobriety. You can get that course right now. It's 25 bucks using the promo code half off at checkout. Go to thatsoberguy.com, click on courses. 
We also give this course away for free to all veterans. We love our veterans. We support you guys uh, as well as our active duty. Uh, so if you're a veteran, you want to check that out, you can DM me on Instagram at real that sober guy. Uh, shoot me a quick message, message, say you're a veteran, you're, you want to get more info about the course, and uh, I'll shoot you a promo code and you can get that. Once again, that's thatsoberguy.com and click on courses. All right, Sherry Gaba, it's great to have you on the podcast today. I so appreciate you. I had a, a, a wonderful time doing our interview last week and uh, welcome. Welcome to Sober Guy. Love what you're doing. I'm so grateful to be here. And I, I didn't know you had a course, so that's fantastic. It's <laughs> a great price point because, you know, a lot of times addicts, alcoholics are just trying to get sober. They can't really afford a whole lot. So how wonderful of you to kind of almost give it away. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. Um, we put a lot of work into it. It's the first one I've done, you know, and I just, uh, I, I felt like there was definitely a need for it. And um, it, it's not, you know, it's, it's not really something, um, uh, that you know we're we're trying to to make a bunch of money on or anything by any means we genuinely want to help people and at the same time it helps support our operation here and so um, it really is it really is a good thing we got a lot of good people on there to talk about their uh, their first ninety days of recovery which is a big thing especially coming out of treatment we talk about aftercare uh, I know I was confused like Sherry I actually wore I got home from treatment and I wore Wranglers and a cowboy vest for like a week and my wife made fun of me and said what the hell are you doing like I had no clue who I was. I was totally confused. So I'm sure you see a lot of that uh, with people coming out of early treatment. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to say, you know, about making money. I mean, you're doing a great uh, service here by having this podcast. So never be ashamed to make a little money to help support what you're doing because you're, you know, providing uh, something so wonderful and helping so many people. So I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I, I, there's nothing wrong with having a little spirit, entrepreneurial spirit and making a little money <laughs> to help support a great cause. Absolutely. And I appreciate you saying that. I think a lot of people struggle with that, whether it's, oh, yeah. especially in the addiction field. Um, but I think even, even outside, just people who are creative people, artists, they have a passion for doing something. Um, it's hard sometimes. And then I think that even can lead into the addiction stuff like worthiness. Like, how am I worthy? What am I worthy of? What is my, my value in this life? You know? So, I mean, maybe let's start there. What, what's, what's your take on that? That's such a great topic, Shane. I mean, that's like codependency right there. Like worrying about, oh, what are others going to think? How can yeah. I charge for what I do? Listen, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, which basically means I'm a psychotherapist in private practice. I'm also um, a, a life coach and recovery coach. And let me tell you, it's been a real challenge. Like I still take insurance because hmm. I believe everybody has a right to therapy. And, you know, with my you know, TV experience and, and years working at different treatment centers. I mean, I have a huge, you know, resume and I don't say that to brag. I say that because I could be charging so much more and I don't. And there are many therapists in my area that just don't take insurance. So I, I think it's a real interesting navigation between providing service to lots of people, but and make it available to lots of people. And at the same time, step into your worthiness. Um, and maybe towards the end, I can talk about my group coaching community called Wake Up Recovery. That's like $19. Awesome. And I really, it's, yeah, Wake Up Recovery, if you want to post it somewhere. Yeah. Um, it's basically to make it affordable for addicts, alcoholics, and codependents, and kind of bridging the gap. Because what I find, and this is such a great topic, is that a lot of addicts, alcoholics, including my ex-husband who I divorced, codependency is what took him out. Mm. He, he was a costumer. And this does talk about, you know, this has to do with this worthiness uh, subject. He was a costumer. He worked for the studios. He would never say no because he was afraid that they would replace him, that he would mm. lose his job. 
And so he had a horrible accident at work, which they ended up, you know, putting him on painkillers. He had to navigate through the workers' comp process, which is a nightmare for an addict. And, you know, he took the pills and he didn't really get honest. And then eventually it it drove him to his drug of choice, which is alcohol. And the rest is history. Um, Yeah been on this drug. He's been at the struggle now for 11 years. He actually is in treatment right now up in Oregon. Um, it actually took him to an, a really dark place. And he, and I, I hope that he, he finds his way, but I believe, and I say this all the time, it's codependency that took him out and it's codependency that took me out because my addiction is you, the addict, you, the person that I'm going to save. I am going to, I'm going to make a difference in your life. You are my project. I'm going to fix you. And as I learned the hard way, that it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, we uh, Jess and I did a podcast on Monday, and uh, one of my one of my favorites. Uh, I have a meditation app that I use, and Noah Levine uh, he does a a meditation session on there. It's one of my favorite ones. I've listened to it hundreds of times. But there's one line. There's a couple lines in there that that are great. One one line that particularly stands out is, um, you know, I I can never I can't remember it verbatim right now. I don't have it written down in front of me. But basically. I'm not responsible for anyone else's happiness. Happiness is an inside job. And so with me trying to fix everybody, I'm trying to fix, you know, my wife or my husband or my friend or my dad. For me, it's my dad, you know, I'm, and I'm working on that myself. But we all have those loved ones and those people and, and we can't fix them, you know. And I think that would kind of take us into codependency a little bit. And I want to back up a bit and just kind of ask you. So just for somebody listening out there, maybe they're new and they go, I have this problem or my loved one has this problem. What the hell is codependency? Like, how do you, how do you break that down and, and make it uh, simplified for somebody to understand? Well, codependency started out as being the spouse, the loved one of the addict. And you were the one that was enabling them. You're the one that was, you know, calling the boss the next day and saying, oh, you know, he's sick, even though he's got a hangover. You know, you're constantly kind of like trying to, you know, uh, not allow him to deal with the consequences of his behavior. And then, and then the, 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 uh, the word sort of morphed into um, trying to control people, places, and things. So it's a control issue. And a lot of people that grew up in addiction or dysfunctional families often have these control issues because the only way they could survive was thinking that they could control all the chaos. And honestly, it might've worked for a minute, But as you get older, you realize you have no control over people, places, and things. You only have control over your behavior and your actions um, and the way you do your life. You can't control other people. I get what you're saying about your dad. I have a mother right now who is with a horrible boyfriend. My dad died four years ago, and she picked up a con man. And he's just Mm. awful. And I'm trying to do everything to get rid of him. <laughs> Not get rid of him. I don't <laughs> but, hey, yeah. Sherry, Sherry, I, I know a couple of guys who know no, a couple edit, of guys. I'm, I'm, just, that out. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I, I, I know what you meant. I know yeah, what you meant. I mean, I just feel like she could do so much better. And sure. Now her, she's got dementia and I don't think she really understands what's happening around her. And so I, I you know, I really got sick about a year and a half ago. I ended up getting kidney stones. Mm. And then when I was with my alcoholic husband, the same thing happened. I got kidney stones, staph infection, started losing hair, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. I literally have PTSD from trying to help other people because I didn't stay in my own lane. You've got to stay in your own lane. So the the best advice I can say, and then I'll, I'll, you know, stop my rant is that support their recovery. Don't enable their disease. Mm. You know, do they need you to make a phone call to a treatment center to see if they take your, his insurance? Sure. Make that call. 
but don't give them money. Don't, you know, they may not even be able to live with you. And if this is a parent listening, that's really painful, but you've got to take care of yourself first. And that's really what Codependent Anonymous is and Al-Anon is. It's a me program. You're going there for yourself. You're not going for, for them. You're going for yourself. Yeah, that's so good. And it's funny you mentioned, um, you know, you yourself dealt, you know, with depression, anxiety in these last few years, and you do this work all the time. And, and the only reason I bring that up is because I just had this awakening experience in the last couple of days where I really realized I was dealing with the loved one who was dealing with addiction. And I was really kind of being like an, like an asshole about it. Like I was taking that abrasive, like taking it real personal. And then when I stepped back, I, I, I made some apologies the next day when I really realized what I was doing, because in the work that I do, I'm very caring. I'm very understanding. Like I'm, I'm trying to be uh, supportive and encouraging. And then when it comes to like a personal, somebody in my life, it's completely different. And I go into this personal mode and man, that's a really tough thing. And you've been doing this work a long, long time. Uh, how do you kind of navigate and, and shift gears in between? I know it's not easy. God, it's not easy. I think the best word I can say for when, if you love someone that's struggling is compassion, mm. just plain compassion, the compassion that you would have for anybody else that isn't struggling, compassion for your children, compassion for those you love, compassion for the addict, because you know, guess what? They didn't wake up saying, oh, I want to lose my car, my job, my house, my wife, my children. No, they didn't wake up wanting that. They are, they have an addiction, they have a disease. And so it's compassion. And yes, I had a, I had a really hard time. You know, I, I, I made an, a codependent, had a codependent relapse because you can have that. I took my ex-husband back about three years ago to try to help him get sober again, even though we'd been divorced for four years. I just, I was in a very dark place. My dad had just died. My mother picked up this horrible boyfriend. My dog of 15 years died and I had this, this slip, you know, and I, and I still loved him. I never really got over him. So I brought him into my house and it was like with the idea, you're going to go to meetings, you're going to get a sponsor, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And lo and behold, of course, he didn't do any of it. And he stayed for two years and then he relapsed. The good news is I did have a zero tolerance for me. I knew that I could not go through that drama again. So when he slipped with alcohol, the day they took the blower out of his car, the day the DMV no longer had him, you know, holding him hostage, yeah. he drank. The, so I asked him to leave and I was, I was really clear about that. And that was a good thing. I had a clear boundary. The whole time he was using painkillers, the whole two years and I didn't even know it, okay? Wow. So that's how much, even though I'm a professional and I do this every day, when you love someone, you wanna see what you wanna see. And just like the addict has denial over their disease, the codependent has the same denial. Like mm. if I admit that you are this person and you are using or whatever, if I really look at it, I'm going to have to give you up. Yeah. Most likely. Just like my mother. If I really look at the fact that you're a con man, I will have to give you up. And I don't want to give you up because I'm so codependent on you. Mm. So it's a very insidious disease. And, um, I think it can be just as harmful as an addiction. I think you can, you can die from love addiction. I think you can die from codependency. I think you can have all kinds of health issues and you can do all kinds of crazy behaviors. Yeah. I mean, I remember like driving on the street of Ventura Boulevard in the San Fernando Valley and I'm like following him with his bag and his vodka in the bag and I'm following him on the street. I could have killed myself. Totally. That's how insane it was. Yeah. So I will say this, Shane. I'm a better therapist today. I'm a better healer. I, I think that I 
the fact that I had it so close up close and personal at home, it wasn't just that I worked in the field and I studied it and all that. I think have and worked on celebrity rehab and on and blah blah blah. Yeah. I think having it in my home firsthand made me a better person. And until this day, I have great compassion for my ex. I pray every day that he finds his way. I'm just not addicted to him anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, well, I think that's a good segue into uh, talking more about relationships, codependency. Um, and maybe we can start here. If um, like, why do we cross addict from substances, whether it be alcohol, drugs, whatever. And then how does that kind of tie in um, to relationships or love addiction? Well, first of all, if anyone wants to learn more about love addiction, definitely check out my book, The Marriage and Relationship Junkie, which is on Amazon, Marriage and Relationship Junkie. And definitely take my free quizzes. I have a codependency quiz. I have a love addiction quiz at mm. sherrygaba.com. That's sherry, S-H-E-R-R-Y, G-A-B-A.com. But the, the bottom line is some, the same part of the brain that affects romance and sexual desire is the same as addictive drugs it creates these positive sensations. And so withdrawal from drugs creates the same feeling as a breakup. It primes the brain to, to, to seek these high levels of reward and pleasure. So like if you add trauma, you add dysfunctional family <clears throat> and loss, you have the perfect storm to get hooked on drugs. A drug addict needs larger quantities and higher frequency to create that first high. And the love addict is looking for the first high too for the first time they fell in love. So often like my barometer is my first love. Like if I, feel, if I would feel like I did for that first love, then this must be love. Mm. And the truth is for me now, I have learned that love is slow and steady. It is not that instant endorphin hormonal rush for me because that never has worked for me. And I'm not saying that you don't have chemistry for the person that you love or the person you want to get involved with. Of course you have to have chemistry, but I believe that it, you need to see, is it chemistry or is it addictive? Is it a, you know, is it the feeling like I will die if this person isn't here? Um, you know, and the thing is a lot of people that get in love addict relationships and we can get into that later is trauma. You know, like if you grow up with neglect and loss and you had dysfunctional parents and you had abuse or trauma, or for me, I had early, early abandonment. I was in a, uh, I'm much older than you, probably over, I probably have a kid your age, Shane. <laughs> and in those days, if you had a preemie, they didn't let your, the mother bond or touch or, or nurture or attach to the baby. They, you know, my mother only, my parents only saw me through this maternity ward window. And so I didn't get that early touch, that early bonding for like two and a half months. And so I was, I was set up to be a love addict, always looking, like you said earlier, outside yeah. for what was really inside. Because if you have that normal mirroring with your parent and that love and that connection and they're not neglectful or, or you know, they're there for you, then you have this healthy way of, of navigating the world. But if you don't have that, then you're always looking, you know, for something to fill you up, that proverbial emptiness. Yeah. And so that was my early trauma and it set me up. And so that's kind of why I wrote the book, because I want people to know that if you're codependent or if you're a love addict or an addict, there are reasons that this happened have compassion for those that early, you know, trauma that you might have experienced. I know you were honest with me on your interview about growing up in, a, in an addictive household. You know, what <clears throat> and you say you'll never do the same thing. Well, you know, that's a little difficult because you've got your history of abandonment <clears throat> or neglect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I mean, it's, yeah, when you when you start digging in, you start digging into that stuff from the past. 
um, number one, it's hard to dig into it just, just flat out, you know, with no questions asked, like who wants to go dig into that stuff. And then to also learn to like forgive and have grace and like under start to understand. Like I hear a lot of people say, love your inner child. Like, and I never really understood that. And the more that I've worked a recovery program, I've start to understand, like, I literally have to go back to when I was a kid and start to like, hug that little dude in there who was 10 years old and feeling neglected or, or angry or whatever it was, you know, and that whole, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole nother thing. We're talking about that right there going through treatment and stuff, but, um, but it's, it's really, yeah. Codependency and love addiction. I mean, I always often say, you know, I don't know if you can see me, but I always say, put that little, that little Shane in your hand and just mm. love that little Shane. <laughs> or find a really cool picture of you when you were a little boy and put it next to your dresser, you know, put it on top yeah. of your dresser and just kind of love it. Um, I have this vision of me sitting on my porch being really lonely. I mean, really, you know, just, I, I don't know if it was a photo that I, from the past or it's an image or it's this like really visceral thing of me just sitting on the porch and being so lonely. You know, my parents fought a lot. My mother worked. I didn't have, you know, the stay home mom thing, you know, wow, wow, wow. But there are things that occurred beyond being a preemie that, you know, continued this search for love and yeah. in all the wrong places and making lots of different, I don't like to call them mistakes, but they, they are what they, they were what they were. And so now how great that I wrote a book and I can help others because that's really what I want to do. I want to take the shame and the blame and the, you know, all the guilt that, oh, I've been with so many people and I was so promiscuous or I've been married a bunch of times. It's like, hey, there are reasons that you did that. I mean, I was a total slut in college. I just was looking for love everywhere. Like if you, if I slept with you, then you would want me. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I mean, that's, yeah. and I drank a lot, you know, I'm sure by some standards, it might've been alcoholic drinking. And luckily it didn't continue after college, but hey, you know, it all goes together, right? Drinking, love, sex, rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that you're just owning that too, because how many, how many other people, men and women out there have, you know, shit that they've done that they feel shameful about that they, um, they regret, you know, and, and, and they, they bottle it up all inside them. And we don't, we don't talk about it. We don't, we, we, we put a key on that lock in there and we just stuff it down. Um, well, I think one of the questions I want to ask you, and it kind of relates to that is, a lot of people think of, let's, and I'm just going to say a 12-step, and there's other programs, so I'm just using 12-step as the first example because it's one that I have used myself and, and currently use. Um, how many people think that you know, a 12-step or recovery program is just for alcohol and drugs and don't understand that a 12-step can really be used for anybody? We all have life issues. We all have things that we've been through in our life, and a lot, we don't know how to deal with it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, if you're a love addict, there are sex and love addict meetings. There's codependent anonymous meetings. There's Al-Anon and there's adult children of alcoholics. These are four different programs that are available for anybody that is struggling with addiction. I mean, my first uh, therapist in my early twenties or mid twenties said, you know, you need to go to codependence anonymous. And I, and he was right on. And even mm -hmm. though I went, of course, like any program, I stopped going. And of course I relapsed. And it was like when I met my alcoholic, um, you know, then in recovery, alcoholic husband, but sober, whatever, um, I was hooked, you know, I was, I was a magnet for, for him. And um, I think that possibly if I would have still been in a program, I might've had my eyes a little more, you know, a little more open. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter that I had all this knowledge and I was a therapist. 
actually at the time I really didn't understand addiction. This was when I was first in graduate school and I just, you know, it was all like book knowledge. I hadn't worked at a rehab. I didn't, oh, like when he told me, wow, I lost everything. I'm sleeping on my sister's futon. I would never drink again. And I'm like, of course he would never drink again. Why would anybody do that? I mean, he lost everything. I had no idea. Oh, it's a disease. There's relapse. If you don't have, if you're not diligent with your program. So I, I was very naive. Um, and I think a lot of therapists don't understand it. Like when people come and see me and they realize, like I start asking them questions and they're like, like I'll ask, I'll say, do you have alcoholism in your family? Do you, do you drink or use, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, no one's ever asked me that. No one's ever told me to go to a codependent anonymous meeting. And I'm yeah. like, wow, you were with the wrong therapist because these are, you know, when you, these are things that are just much deeper than going to a therapist. I mean, you need like a multi, you need a multi-program, like a yeah. multi-discipline program. You need it all, right? You need the meditation, the 12 steps, the therapist, maybe the yoga, the trauma work. I mean, it's a whole thing, you know, to deal yeah. with. So if we talk about somebody who maybe they're just getting out of treatment or they're new uh, to recovery, uh, and we kind of tie that in with relationships, is there a general... Um, you know, because I, I hear people say, well, how, you know, should I not be in a relationship for the first year? Should I wait? Like, what is your take on, on that? Like somebody new into recovery who um, is looking at a relationship or thinking about it or whatever? Yeah. Well, I used to say when I was married to my alcoholic, because I met him when he was only two months sober, I'd say, oh, it doesn't matter. Love comes. <laughs> Love comes <laughs> time. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And now that that happened to us, I'm like, yeah, I think you might want to sit for a minute. I mean, I'm not going to give amount of time. I'm just going to say, sit for a minute, like really yeah. sit for a minute, go through those 12 steps or get really clear on that, those underlying issues that keep, you know, bringing you to this space of the same old, same old, and then maybe, you know, start thinking about dating or whatever else, because you really, you know, the thing about intimacy, I mean, if you've ever seen intimacy broken up. It's into me, I see. Into me, I see. Mm -hmm. And basically, until you're intimate with yourself, you cannot possibly be intimate with anyone else. Yeah. And, the way, you know, and the way to get intimate with yourself is that, that deep dive. For me, I had to do trauma work, really deep, deep trauma work to really get inside my body. Because you know, people would say, oh, you just have to be present. You just have to be in the moment. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. How can I know how to do that if I'm not even in my body? Yeah. Anyway, that's my little two cents. No, I, I love it. I think it's great, great advice too. And it's just like, I mean, we all know ourselves best. Um, and, and sometimes, unfortunately, we don't make the best decisions. But I like that advice. Just sit back and wait. Just do you for a minute. That's what I do. You know, do you. Like, get locked in. Start to know yourself a little bit. Like, I didn't start knowing myself until I was 32 years old. You know, that's when I got sober. And um, it's a process. And I'm. I was 50. So, hey, you. <laughs> I, got, I got 18 of them on you. <laughs> no, but in two weeks yeah but um, so so let me ask you this do you feel like you like you a hundred percent know yourself now i mean mm, i think i know myself I'll, I'll, let me put it to you this way i know that if i make any decisions in my life i'm very conscious of those mm, decisions like yeah. i have a boyfriend now now if i ever decided hey maybe he can move in i have to be uh, not have to i will be very clear that this is the guy you're getting mm. i'm not gonna change him He's not going to be someone that you think you want him to be. 
I'm not in love with some illusion of who I wish he would be. This is the decision and I'm conscious about it. I would say that. Yeah. And I think that's good. And the the reason I kind of asked that too, because I think it proves that we're constantly in process. We're constantly learning. We're constantly adapting. Uh, And if we're not like, well, I'll speak for myself. If I'm not, then man, something's wrong. I need to step out and and continue on getting uncomfortable a little bit, learning more about myself. And I think that's what excites me to get up every day. I'm like, man, what has God got in store today? You know, what the hell is going to happen today? But I know I have some tools and some community around me to help me deal with it. If it's something that's not, you know, favorable in my, uh, my action or whatever. Um, so we, we, we've talked a lot about a couple of different things with regard to addiction, codependency. What are some, like if somebody heard one of those things, uh, anyone in particular said, man, that's me, or I really am dealing with that. What are some different treatment options for people out there that might not know where to turn to? Well, the fact that they're even on this podcast means that, you know, they're, they're self-aware. They're, mm. they're becoming aware of the issue. So woohoo and yay for all those people listening to Shane's podcast today. Because <laughs> now you were interested enough to listen to this topic and Shane. And so that's the first step. And then making a decision to change, you know, that old saying, the definition of insanity, doing mm. this and expecting different results. So there's a decision to be to change. Learning to stop looking for those external solutions, like we talked about earlier. It's not an outside job, it's an inside job. Really looking at your fears. Like for me, when I took my ex-husband back, I think it was because I was really sad about my dad dying, my dog dying. And then I had these fears, you know, I was in my, I don't know, I was 53 or 54 or whatever. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna be alone forever. No one's gonna want me, I'm too old. There's no good men out there. And so really look at what are those fears that you have? You know, getting, you move out of that denial. That's a huge one. Like really, like you're not going to fix anybody. I think women, and I hate to be, you know, sexist, but I think, and maybe men too often want to, they think that they can change someone. So this is where you're getting what you're getting. So really get out of that denial and examine those, those early suppressed trauma issues that we were talking about. Were you neglected? You know, what kind of family did you come from? Were your parents abusive? Did you come from a single parent where you're, parent wasn't available and they find a really good therapist to work on these issues you know do that self-parenting that inner child work that you discuss Shane um you know and then just become a loving forgiving compassionate person to yourself Mm. that's all you have is yourself and use all that pain and again that's why I wrote the book the marriage and relationship junkie was I want people not to feel ashamed but to use the pain to grow and then prepare for a healthy relationship um you know, learn to start trusting yourself. And you can only do that by knowing yourself, letting go. You know, I'm really not angry at these ex-husbands or whatever. And I could be. Because, <laughs> because, you know, they were just brought to me for a reason. So I've let that go, that anger. Um, really good. Find a really good therapist or find a really good coach. But if you're dealing with real deeper depression, anxiety, trauma, suicide, things like that, you want to find a therapist. You don't want to just work with yeah. a coach. Uh, find a great 12-step meeting that I mentioned earlier, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, um, Codependency Anonymous, Al-Anon, or Adult Children of Alcoholics. How, how much of that do you think, too, is, um, you know, because there's tons of resources out there, and unfortunately, we can't make anybody do anything. We can give people all the resources in the world, whether it's someone we love or whatever, and it's ultimately, it's going to be up to them to choose whether or not they're going to step out and go get the help that they need or want or whatever the case is. How much of that do you think is, um, it, like, or how can you, how can, 
how can you encourage people like to step out of their comfort zone? There's a stigma, but oh, I see a therapist. A lot of people are embarrassed by that, you know, which, I, which unfortunately it really sucks because there's nothing to be ashamed about about that. Like it's a coach. You're getting coached. Like we don't have all the answers and there's nothing wrong with that. How, like what's your encouragement for people out there just to step out, man, try something new, go after something that you get. Like, you know, what, what would you say to that, Sherry? we all have a default system you know we have that like the same old same old like this is how we always do things and then when it gets really Mm -hmm. scary and we're at that edge of the cliff you know i'm not saying go over the cliff but you know what i mean go over the cliff. like take the leap take a chance the the thing is most people stop right there they're like like when i took my ex-husband back it was like okay this is the best it's going to be so i'm going to take him back I wasn't willing to like say, you know, I don't know exactly what's on the other side, but I, at least I, but if I take him back, I know exactly what I'm getting. So, <laughs> yeah. so take that leap. And by the way, he's a really good person and a fantastic person. He just has a disease. Yeah. He's a wonderful human being, but he wasn't good for me anymore. That was my default. Take the leap. Know mm-hmm. that in that realm is unlimited possibility unlimited possibility. But if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you know exactly when you're, you're going to get. And you know what? That's okay too. Like if that's who you are in the world and you just want the same old, just know that all the results of your life are going to be based on never taking the leap. Mm, that's good. That. Yeah, that's know good. That. That's the best it's going to be. Our, uh, our pastor, uh, Pastor Dave, uh, one, of, one of his uh, lines that he gave a few months back, and it's always stuck with me. He said, do the ridiculous to experience the miraculous. And I thought, man, that's good right there. Like, let me step out and do something that everyone might say, that's ridiculous. Why are you doing that? You're not going to succeed at that. You can't do that. It's like, no, I'm going to give you, you know, the I'm going to, I'm trying to ease back on my cursing, but whatever I said, I'm going to give you the big middle finger and I'm going to jump in and go for it, you know, because I, I want to experience like what is on the other side. I know there's more. Um, oh yeah. When I went back to graduate school, I was 35, probably a few years younger than you. And I was a single mother and it was like, everybody said, are you crazy? You know, it's going to take you yeah. years to graduate, years to get your, your hours, years to set up a practice. And that's all true. And I'm like, but I'm going to do it anyway. Mm. And I did it anyway. So, you know, I've always been a risk taker. Um, but unfortunately, let's, you know, you got to also take risk with consciousness. Yeah. You know, kind of like look at, like, I think ridiculous is awesome. And I think it, and it can bring miracles. But do ridiculous with consciousness. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's definitely good. Have some consciousness to what um, what is going on. What are the... Um, you know, potential outcomes, really strategy. I mean, you're strategizing in some sense. Um, yeah, you're saying like, this is what's going to be. I'm going to be sacrificing the next, you know, five years of my life by going to school. I will have, no, like I'm giving an example. I'll, I won't have money, won't have as much time to do some of the other things I like to do. Um, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I, I made a conscious decision of my, of, of the consequence, not the consequences, but what would be, what would be if I made that decision? Like, yeah. you know, have an honest dialogue. See, isn't it, doesn't it go back to honesty? <laughs> yeah, it does. It right? Does. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I, this morning when I, um, when I had checked my, my inbox, I got a really good question from a listener of the show named uh, Steven. And, um, and uh, I was hoping I could read it and maybe we can chat about it. Is that cool? Okay. Okay, great. So Stephen, Stephen writes in and he says, 
Uh, alcohol is so ingrained in the male culture in terms of how I used to drink with my buddies in college and in a fraternity, and also in a role that I have now as a job in sales, where you're expected to go out, entertain clients that are usually male, and usually try to pressure you to drink and do a shot, um, you know, that kind of atmosphere of, of pressure drinking. Um, the situation is the same. The scene is just different, but it all seems to revolve around the basic of alcohol being something that you're expected to be proficient in as a man and something that is used to facilitate sales, uh, that's used to facilitate sales work, work relationships. Uh, while also I love this line too, while sort of being a male bonding situation, how does someone that's trying to uh, navigate being sober deal with something like this in these areas, especially when they're not only, um, when, when not only their social interactions and self-image, but also their job factors in. Well, I don't know if he's an alcoholic or not, um, but I can tell you this, if he is and he's a binge drinker, he might lose that job. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Like, like, he, yeah. like There's really not an option for him. I don't know. I don't want to say go get a new job because I understand there are pressures, but, and I think we have pressures every day. I mean, we live in a culture where every other commercial is an alcoholic commercial. I mean, look at Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, it's mm. all about the alcohol. But the, the bottom line is either he's got to find a new, a new path um, or he's just got to have enough manly, you know, be a man and, and man up and say, I can't drink. Yeah. If I drink, I can lose everything. Mm-hmm. Not only this job, I can lose my family and, you know, I can get a DUI. I mean, I'm sorry that, it, that he's under that pressure. I get it. I mean, it's, it's really difficult, but it's not worth your, your, now, if you're not an alcoholic, then you just have to you know, you can do what you want to do. Just don't yeah. be crazy. Um, but if you're an alcoholic, you, you need to find either a different path or you're going to have to just put your big boy panties on and just not drink. <laughs> really. Yeah. And, and if that's the only way to get to sale, then I think you're, you need to get out of sales. I mean, I, I mean, I know he's got to make a living. I get it. And it's part of the culture, but I'm sorry, but his, his live, you know, like living is more important than dying. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. We all want to live. We don't want to die, uh, especially to something over a job. job. Who wants to work anyways, right? Yeah, right. That sounds dreadful to me. I've had this issue before. I mean, I have men that don't even go to meetings because they're afraid they're going to see somebody in their business. And I'm like, well, they're there too. True. Well, that, that's, that, that was kind of what I was going to say too, is I, I think it, you know, obviously we don't have the background information of if he's been in recovery, if he's new to sobriety, is he an, is he an alcoholic, whatever. But um, let's just say um, hypothetically that he's new to recovery. That's kind of the vibe that I got. Um, do you think that if somebody is plugged in, because I, I kind of responded back very briefly and I said, look, man, like um, it's really important. There's plenty of other manly dudes out there who are sober, who are taking care of business, who have a shitload of fun. They party sober. They do tons of cool things in their life. They have families. They work in sales. They do all kinds of fun stuff, but they, but they don't drink. And the way that they do that is they have those, those communities surrounding them. They have, they've put those pieces of the puzzle in place in order to support themselves when they have to be in situations like this. So, um, I mean, do you think that... Oh my God, you're so right. I mean, I think that was the thing that really hurt my ex-husband is he never developed a community or a fellowship. I yeah. love that. I think, I think you're exactly right. He needs to have a community of sober people. Um, he needs to change everything and it might mean changing his job. And yeah, that community of support may help him, you know, like let's say he goes on a business trip 
he has those people that he can call if he's got mm. a slippery slope going on or something, you know, if he's in a triggered, triggered situation. You're right. I think having the support is everything. Yeah. Great advice, Shane. Yeah, well, Stephen, thanks for the email. Uh, good stuff. I hope that helped uh, uh, helped you, you know, answer a couple of questions and, and give you a little insight into uh, into the full scope of, of what you're dealing with, man. So best of luck to you, and we appreciate you supporting the show. Um, Sherry, uh, what, what's so what's next for you? I know we got a few minutes left. Um, what's next? I mean, the books, and, and we'll be sure we'll put all the links to the books, your website, um, the the coaching program. We'll put all that in the show notes. So if anyone out there listening, if you want to uh, check those out, they'll be all in the show notes page. Um, what are you working on right now? Or, I, you know, pretty much this, this wake up recovery community. I love it. Um, I, I have, you know, lots of members and I love that I'm bridging the gap between addiction and codependency. Cause I do think it's a, they kind of go hand in hand. So definitely check out wake up recovery, you know.com. Definitely check out the book. Um, I may have my own podcast. You've inspired me to maybe, <laughs> I'm just trying to find the, put together the technical pieces because there's so many different ways you can go. Um, you know, and I just, I just love my work. I have my private practice. Um, I love the magazine. If people want a free resource, go to recoverytodaymagazine.com. It's a wonderful resource for codependency and addiction. Um, and it's got an app too. I, I dig the app. I just, I just downloaded it. Yeah, it was really cool. I was like, wow, they got a whole app for it. It's awesome. That's what it is. It's not a live or hard copy magazine. It's actually a magazine app. We're the only one of its kind yeah. that's doing recovery. So um, it's just another, I mean, you know, we talked about that on your interview that there's just so many options out there for people today, you know, yeah. to get what they need. Um, books and communities and coaching and your course and podcasts and it's just a different world and i want to say you know my last parting thoughts are just find your path you know mm. find your path you yeah know? it's good sherry gave everybody uh sherry i appreciate you thank you so much for coming on uh the podcast and uh much love respect like thank you again and you too thank you for having me have and for having this amazing platform and being you shane you're, you're just you're precious. <laughs> Thank you. Check us out at thatsoberguy.com. You can connect connect with us on Instagram at Real That Sober Guy and at Shane Raymer on Twitter. Uh, once again, thanks to the Foundation's Recovery Network, Heroes in Recovery, and Humans Music. Uh, we love you guys. Peace, love, and respect. Keep your blood clean.